Welcome to In the Wake with Whitley. Here on this podcast, we cover mental health, life lessons, mindset growth, and tons of storytelling. Together, we'll laugh, we'll cry, and everything in between. I'm your host, Whitley Rogers. I'm a certified life coach and mental health advocate. I'm also a survivor of sexual and mental abuse. I'm here to open up those conversations that are normally uncomfortable or hush-hush in society. Keep listening for bits and pieces of my personal journey and insights along with other interviewees. All right, we're back. I'm here today with a new guest, Karen, and I am very excited for you all to meet her and hear her message. And I will let you introduce yourself and what you want listeners to know about you. So who are you and what is your story? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me and for your listeners for actually taking time out of your day to listen to my story and what I have to say. Once again, name's Carrion Fournier. It's a bit of a mouthful, but I kind of like it. It's one of those first names that when I was growing up, kids hate because you can't find it on your little necklaces and that's a little bit different. But when you get older, it's funny. It's one of my themes, being unique, Mm -hmm. being a little bit different is something that you grow into and I actually really enjoy. That journey from from when I really disliked my name to what I really like now has been a winding one. And so I will say to anyone listening who's at either earlier in their life and career and they just feel like pressure to know what they need to do, hopefully after you hear my story, you relax because it's totally a journey. Believe it or not, when I was in college, I was actually a classical theater major, performed off-Broadway in London, but I was a theater major that was kind of a nerd too. And so I took a lot of math and physics and things like that. I went to Northwestern. Quickly realized that as much as I love the art form, the lifestyle just wasn't for me. And it's another thing I tell folks all the time. It can't just be what you do that you like. You have to also enjoy the lifestyle that comes with it. I fell backwards into Wall Street. It's still like head scratching to me at times, although it makes perfect sense. So I, for 25 years, I was in this corporate, really hard charging alpha environment. I was on Wall Street and strategy risk consulting and startup tech. Yeah. If I were to be really honest with myself, it was a long portion of my career where my ego was very (laughs) satisfied, right? Like I had the big title and the big office and the big compensation. And, but you know, I was just constantly stressed out. There was a little bit of that pride in the grind, right? I so defined myself almost by being stressed out, but I was like running on adrenal fatigue. And now I realize I was completely unfulfilled. Fortunately, although it may sound unfortunate, it really took a profound trinity of trauma, I call it, in my mid-40s. got really, really ill. People realized that actually it took about nine months for them to diagnose it was bad advanced Lyme disease. While I was on disability from my executive position in a very large international company, I got laid off because there was a new CEO in town. And that's what happens. They bring in their own team. I understand it's the game. But here I am. I'm so sick. I think it was before they even knew what it was. I got laid off. And just to complete the trinity of trauma, after about 20 years with my now ex-husband, the last straw hit, found out some stuff I'd suspected because I was now home sick around to notice. And I filed for divorce. My whole life went upside down. All the tenants that I really held dear as to who I was and how I was supposed to live my life Mm -hmm. 
were dismantled. And I think there was just a part of me that realized if I tried to go back to my old way of defining myself or living my life, I probably would put myself in the grave. Like it just was no longer going to work. And had this beautiful seven-year-old, almost eight-year-old daughter at the time who I constantly challenged myself to model the right mindset and behaviors. And I go, no, this is not what I want to leave as a legacy that she thinks this is how she should be modeling and living her life. And so I became a seeker, this hard-charging, alpha-oriented executive, I guess forcefully found some humility. Mm -hmm. And I, I went on a journey really to find a different part of myself. And, you know, I still dabbled in corporate. I you know, was in another financial services company helping out. I helped out another startup tech company. But about two years ago, my daughter was the one that called me out. And she goes, Ma, what's going on? It was an okay job. I really was still healing from the illness. I was still making sure she was okay from the divorce. And I took a very midland job wasn't really challenging, but it was close to her school. And it was understandable why I took it. I just stayed in it longer than I should have. And she goes, listen, she'd been in a gifted school since she had been in kindergarten. And she goes, you've had me in this nerd school since I've been born practically so that I could be inspired and enriched and challenged. And she's like, why do you deserve any less? Mm, and wow. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> she was 13 at the time, by the way. So she's wow. in heaven. Yes. 13. I was like, oh crap, now I really have to deal with my stuff, right? And so the good news is during all of this, I had really, in part of my seeking, I decided I really wanted to become world-class as a coach, as a high performance and executive coach and life coach. So I'd gone through a really deep, intensive year-long program with the Institute for Professional Excellence and Coaching. I had done it not at the time thinking I was going to start a company with it just because I wanted to be world-class at it. And I really thought back, I'm like, what is that thing throughout my life with all my crazy job twists and turns, whether I was an actress, derivative structuring desk, or tech startup situation, or as a compensation executive, what was that common denominator? Because it looks so different on the outside, right? But right. on the inside, I realized regardless of my job title, the thing that made me light up like a Christmas light mm -hmm. and really was my unique value proposition, the things that really I created so much impact was my ability to unlock potential in individuals and teams and obviously in smaller organizations. And it was this weird, unique mix just to myself. I'm not even sure how I do it at times. <laughs> Mixture of my IQ, EQ, writing, math, I don't know, all the weirdness that I guess goes with my weird spelling name. And I said, that's my secret sauce. And you know what? I'm going to make a company on that, on my why. Before I'd even read Simon Sinek. I was a little late to the game on him for some reason, but he totally speaks to finding that inner purpose and trying to navigate your life so you're in alignment to that. And so my company, Vibrant Ventures, is really meant to be of service to that why. Wow, that is amazing. I love that you created something so specific to you and your needs instead of trying to mold into something that wasn't necessarily working for you. 
But I think what's interesting, particularly in the pandemic, when you get very attached to what you do, it makes it very difficult to pivot, right? So I do X and I do Y, then you're just pushing what you think the need is. But because I'm so clear on the contribution and the impact I want to have, I've been spending a lot of time really listening. I know my skill sets. We have consulting in my company and we have coaching. What is the need that is similar? What's different? Is there a different way people need to learn and address it? And so So it's really, it's been a fascinating exercise to really live into that and say, okay, I'm still in service to that. Yes, the world is upside down. Yes, I only launched my company a year and a half into this crazy time that we live in. But there's an unattachment to it as well that I think to some degree serves me. I think not to be naive about it. And I'm still learning. I mean, absolutely every day. I'm like, oh, okay. If I had known that a month ago, I would have done something. (laughs) Ha! Okay, but it's that fail-learn cycle, right? If we're so worried about making mistakes, we'll like never grow. Yeah, this has been a masterclass in the fail-learn-do cycle, but that's okay. I love it. I love constantly pressing myself into nooks and crannies of what I'm capable of that maybe I haven't explored before. I love that. Wow. All right, so there's this ego trip where we sometimes as humans sit on our high horse and are very close-minded, judgmental. Our way is the highway. It is the right way. So let's talk about that. How does being judgmental hold us back? And what does that say about a person? We're all this way. Whether we realize it or not, we're just, humans are wired this way. We have 60,000 thoughts a day. The vast majority, I think 80% of those are actually negative. Mm -hmm. So we're probably judging. And by the way, not just externally ourselves, and many of them are repetitive, right? Mm -hmm. And so think about the effect that has on what we see is possible and just your overall energy, right? Like how exhausting that could be. Being judgmental is not the same thing as being judicious, right? Like sort of critical thinking and analyzing. One's got more emotional attachment to it and sort of this adrenaline kick of feeling right and I'm smart and I'm the one in the know versus sort of a more neutral balancing, let me think about what's going on. And you've pointed it out. I mean, you can always sort of the radar when people get into this sort of loop is when there's very black and white thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Good or bad, right or wrong. And it's funny, it's sort of thinking right or wrong isn't necessarily right or wrong own way. So I'm not judging being judgmental. The question (laughs) really, is it serving you? Everything I talk to my clients about, it's not good or bad. Is it serving you? And is it serving you in the most powerful way, in the deeper way, not the superficial boost you get at times? Because when you're thinking with those kind of blinders of right or wrong, good or bad, black and white, the full scope of what's available as possibilities can't possibly be seen by someone with that lens, right? So what I see, because I do a lot of sort of high-performance coaching with professionals, how I see this play out oftentimes, and anyone who's been in any size organization has probably seen leaders with this. There's a lot of folks who are very judgmental and they may appear to be very confident, but really what's going on also is they're just always thinking that their way is right, right? Mm -hmm. And they get so caught up in focusing on what's wrong, what's broken, and God help us, we've all been there, who or what is to blame, right? That blame game. The reality is while initial results for leaders like this can look successful, absolutely, I'm not denying it, 
every single time, medium to long haul, this way of leading others in organizations will ultimately fail in any kind of functional, healthy way. Because the effort expended to live with that constant judgmental blame, toxic energy will drain them and those around them. It's why I see a lot of health really suffering for some folks who have been operating like this for a long time. Another thing, if we just take it out of the leadership construct, another thing that I work on a lot with teams and individuals is innovation. So if you're always judging everything that comes up or you're so attached to your own idea, you don't really allow for the possibility and exploration of what can take hold and what what comes next. So perfect mm-hmm. examples, I've done an exercise, particularly when I see teens, it was totally understandable to get excited about your own idea, but not with the blinders, because sometimes it's the fusion of two or more ideas that really create the ultimate amazing idea. Perfect. So we do this exercise where I say, tell me the second best idea, hmm. either the ones that you've heard or a completely different one, but I want everybody to pitch me your second best idea. They have to get out of their corner that their idea is the only way. It's uncomfortable. It's often pretty funny as an as observer because they train cheat. They try and do the exact same pitch with like a slightly different angle. <laughs> it's so funny where I my own secret sauce, like using humor to kind of to see, I'm like, really? You really think you're that sneaky? So it happens so many different ways. Obviously this kind of behavior personally in any kind of relationship, whether it's romantic relationships or friendships or whatnot, having somebody you always feel like you have to be on the defense of, defensive and protect yourself. And it's always a debate and a strain. It's exhausting. It is. We know those people, their name comes up on our phones and we just go, oh, I know people that before they go to a certain family event, this is why holidays could be so stressful. Mm -hmm. They know they have to prepare themselves for these individuals that everything is a struggle. And so it's funny, there's an exercise I've had most of my clients who I feel have a lot of this going on in them. We do a judgment journal and I did this when I was learning this and it's pretty funny because first and foremost, the hardest thing is not to judge yourself by how judgmental you are. Notice it right away. But you ask, depending on whatever the person is willing to sign up for a day, three days, a week, write in a little notebook, every single thought you catch yourself having, which is judgmental, everything about yourself, about the environment, about the weather, about the walls, about people. And I've had people fill up three subject notebooks. Wow. Because it's constant. And so here's the thing. Transformation doesn't need to happen, the big stuff that you're not ready to let go of. Wait till you're more of a master at it. The reality is when you really look through those notebooks, there's so much gold, there's so much low-hanging fruit that you're not as attached to letting go of and playing with another way of being. So for example, for me, I realized I'm not so proud of it. I will admit it. Half my time is in New York City and I would walk around and I'd be judgmental. I'd be like, ugh, how are those two people together? What the hell are you thinking when she got up, right? And I realized I was doing this and I was like, okay, this is totally not serving me. Why am I doing this? I'm like, well, this is a good thing to practice particularly because I feel a lot of my humor is based on sarcasm Mm -hmm. rather than truly shift. The best antidote to judgment is curiosity, right? Right. Truly curiosity. Huh. I wonder how those two people met. Huh. I wonder what kind of job she's got that like wearing eight different shades of color is cool. Like I'm just kind of curious. Of course, my mid stop was being judgmental with a curious tonality, which was just being sarcastic. 
which is not what I'm talking about. You can't say, gee, I wonder what he was thinking when they walked out the door. That's just being judgmental. But when you really, truly come from a place of curiosity, huh, I wonder what's going on. Like, I wonder, I wonder. I just am so curious. How, how would those two people met? They seem so different. It shifts. And it's funny. It is visceral. It's truly, when I talk about energy work, it's not just woo and like sitting, doing yoga. When you let go of these heavy, judgmental thoughts, there's a release. And you're like, right. wow, this feels so much better. It doesn't happen overnight. You catch yourself. And that's the practice is you realize three days later, wow, I was being kind of judgmental. And then you realize an hour later, and then you're in the midst of an interaction and you catch yourself. You catch your inner monologue doing that and you just pause, obviously not in the mid-conversation, but in your <laughs> and you start to replace it. The curiosity, curiosity energy, what's going on? And then it's like paper training your brain to a healthier, more constructive way of interacting. Once you've sort of conditioned yourself and started to practice the practice on something that's so easy to let go of or easier, and you know what it feels like, you know what that just feels like, it is so much easier then to go after the bigger stuff. There's a lot of things we judge that we've almost created as part of our ego and self-identification. Those are harder and deeper to go after, but those are possible once you see the power of even shifting a little bit. First takes acknowledging like, hey, maybe I'm being a little judgmental in this moment, in this conversation, in this whatever it may be, in this meeting, in this family gathering. Then also working that muscle and starting with small shifts and exactly. working up to the bigger ones. That's what I understood from what you were yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. Like little practices, even if someone's a, a really difficult, you don't have to solve all of the judgmental interaction with the person. Just practice on a conversation or a portion of the conversation, right? It's the doing of it, though, that really helps shift it, does work. And it's fun to be curious. Yeah, you know, as kids, we're curious. Why? Why, mom? Why is the sky blue? <laughs> we drive our parents crazy, right? But there's so much wonder in this. And at some point in our lives, to protect ourselves, to feel like we know what's going on, to feel like we've got control, to feel whatever, it flips. It's really a, a beautiful energy to, to weave back in. And like I said, it's not just it's nice to have. It has profound impact in business, profound impact from a leadership perspective, for other folks to feel seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Innovation blossoms when leaders and employees can come from a place of curiosity. So it's definitely not just, gee, it's kind of nice and feels good. This has absolute practical high performance implications in the workplace. I like how you mentioned children's curiosity because that's how they learn everything in life is being curious and asking the questions and at some point along the way we stop doing that and we kind of build up these walls as if we already know everything. I like this phrase I'm not sure where I heard it from but once you think you know everything you know nothing. It's why parents get so defensive their kids just call them out that they don't know. Uh -huh. Some parents will go on that journey, but I've seen parents where they get really annoyed. I don't know why there's a sunset. Like, I don't know. Google it. Like, you can hear the parents like, gee, I don't know. Let's Google it. Particularly with my women clients who I feel like aren't really championing their compensation or their career powerfully. There's a misperception that your value is in what you know versus that you can grow. 
So it really locks in, it really sort of metastasizes this sort of armor, need for judgment and to kind of get rid of curiosity. If you feel your whole value and your ego is attached to being the master knower, the one that's got it right, versus the one that's just like, wow, questions are pretty powerful. Curiosity is really cool. And that's where growth happens. Like for careers, it's your learning agility, right? It's your confidence to say, I can figure it out. I can ask the right questions and I can move myself forward. This judgment, this need to feel right, it happens in every facet of life. You see it happening in politics, in religion, in families and relationships, in the workplace, like you mentioned, and it creates these divides. It harms the people that are being so harshly judged. But really, if we embraced the gray and the nuance, and that maybe it isn't one way or the other way, and really got to know the human beings and the concepts and the ideas on the other side of our judgment, it really would help us grow and leave that stagnant place of knowing all the things. I love that because, you know, when you make it human, when you really humanize, you don't just bucket and categorize everyone in a, well, if you're this, you're a snowflake, or if you're that, you're ignorant and bigoted. There's so many different things of what's going on with how they think and why they think. You don't leave space to also let somebody like go on the journey with you. Like as mm-hmm. soon as you make someone wrong, the growing and the, and the relationship stops in a way, in a healthy way. You can't affect progress really because they're going to just defend their position. Yes, like so curious. Gee, how did you form that opinion? Kind of curious. How might this not be serving you? How is it serving you? And play the opposite. Gee, how is this serving you right now? Curious on the alternative, like how is that not serving you? How might that not be working? And once again, people believe what comes out of their own mouths. Right. Kind of just yelling and telling. Maybe they'll nod and you may feel like they agree. Often they'll just go, they're going to think whatever they think. You haven't really affected systemic growth. So kind of transitioning alongside judgment, we get into this comparison trap. What is the comparison trap and how does it impact one's life, their work, and relationships? I've found, listen, I think for centuries, generations, like they have nicer horse and buggy across the street, right? Or they, (laughs) you know, whatever it was. I mean, it's natural to sort of just check out and compare but particularly in the social media arena that we're all in, it is so easy, and it starts at a very young age, that people look and think that what they see on the surface, the marketing, the spin, the one good picture that somebody may or may not have, not judging, put on a filter. Or you hear careers like, wow, they're 30 years old and they're already an X, Y, and Z. It's so easy to then get down and frustrated and demoralized. Because typically also, we don't look at an individual and look at all elements of their lives. We pick and choose. We say, wow, that person's, they're so fit. I wish I could be that fit. And look at that career over there. Wow, that person over there has got his career. And we're literally comparing ourselves to the highest points that we see that also may not even be true. And, you know, this affects people's sense of personal fulfillments, accomplishments, joy, relationships, you just kind of shut down and you just get really down on yourself. It's natural and it's understandable, but there is an antidote. The antidote is to start really defining 
what you want your life to be. Many of us have grown up with a narrative of people telling us what success should look like, what our lives should look like. We're expected to behave in a predicted pattern, right? Whether it's the people we're expected to be in relationships with or the types of careers we're supposed to have or the money from a lot of different ways. You'll be thought of as a success if you drive X, Y, and Z car or house or whatever. And the reality is we're so living everybody else's agenda. We haven't really taken the time to say, wait a second, hold on, time out. What do I want to create? What do I want to live into? And it's understandable, right? Because we're all busy doing the what we thought we needed to go after that we rarely think of the how. What is this container that I want to manifest and the who we want to be? So one of the first exercises I do with pretty much every client is to talk about it and let's set it with intention. And it's not that you can't change, but we go through a values exercise and I have a whole list, not that it's complete of all the different like different values. And I said, pick five. Oftentimes people just, they want half of them. I'm like, that's okay. You can have half, but just prioritize <laughs> five. Not saying any of these can't show up and that they're not important. But if you really had to say anchor this year around five core values, what would that look like? And there is no right or wrong. And so, because then you can explore, well, what would that look like for me? So let's say for me, I say I want self-expression, innovation, flexibility, prosperity, and humor. Let's say those are the five that I anchor myself in. When I get into something that's not going the way I want it to go, let's say I actually one that I chose recently, I forgot to put on my list there, is courage. What would courage look like as I'm trying to figure out where my company is in the midst of this pandemic? What is self-expression look like? How would that work? What I've used this really powerfully for my clients who are really trying to think about career, career transition. It's very easy to blame the institution and your manager, but what are you doing to bring those values to life in your job? And there's times where I've been hired and they really thought the end of the process would be, I'll have my resume together and then I'll go external and I'll find my dream job. And we've done the values exercise. Definitely, we'll work on your resume and we'll definitely continue to learn whatever their let's use self-expression look like for them. What would self-expression look like in this job? And they start to find different ways that they really can be the person that they've always wanted to show up to, but now with intention. And there's this one client I'm thinking about right now who chose at the end of our process to really stay exactly where she was. Hmm. She's like, actually, it was always me. There was a dynamic and a rhythm that with her manager had gotten off. But to be frank, as soon as she was sort of very clear and authentic with the who she wanted to be, she could have a more authentic, clear conversation with her manager to create an environment that worked for her. She felt more empowered to ask, well, what does flexible mean? The boss thought flexible meant X. She really meant Y. They'd never really sat down, but it was really important to her. So the fact that the boss she thought was dismissing her need for flexibility and what she was trying to build with her family was really demoralizing. And as soon as she realized it was something she wanted Champion to have a conversation with, all of a sudden they got on the same page. So yes, sometimes when you get clear on the life and the career that you want to choose, the only way to get it is to go to other. But before you do so, look at where you are now, because oftentimes we just create a different version of the same mess in the next place we go. Funny example, there's, I've heard more times than not, for some reason, particularly with men executives, when I've walked in, they've said, you know, I just want to quit and open a bar on a beach. I don't know if that's like part of their upbringing, but I've heard at least five times. Easy. I, as I mentioned, I use humor as part of my coaching toolkit. And I realized there's a type that could get the ribbing. And I go, well, that's possible. 
I go, but my guess is you'll just be a sunburnt, miserable asshole, not a miserable asshole if you do that. So I'm going to work on you first. If the keg distributor showed up an hour late, how would you react? I'd be losing my mind. That's so unprofessional. I'm like, exactly. Exactly. You bring the who you are with you anywhere. So if you really aspire truly deeply to own a bar and a beach someday, let's set that up for you so that you'll actually get all the fulfillment that you hope for. And I'll buy you a bottle of sunscreen on the way. I like that approach of instead of trying to change the things around you, really focusing on yourself because you have the power to really influence all the things around you. And if you're not fulfilled with your own needs and your own desires and your yourself, then all these tokens of success that you're comparing in your life, they're not going to ever be good enough. It'll never be good enough. And let me be clear, it doesn't mean that they need to be mutually exclusive. I mean, I often, mm. often I hear the narrative well, it's either corporate and this high intense job, or I'll go work in a nonprofit and I'll feel fulfilled. And I know just as many people working in nonprofits who are miserable and stressed out right. and frustrated, and they're not making the money that they were making in corporate, and they thought that was the be all end all. The power of this work, too, is you're clear about what you care about and what you want to manifest, and not that that doesn't evolve and change at times. Certain of these values will always be there. Others kind of go in and out on what you want to create. But then when you need to make decisions, you can really say, how does this align to the life I want to create? And also when you catch yourself, like, let's go back to the judgment conversation. Mm -hmm. If I'm not going to be right or wrong about being right or wrong, and it's just, is it serving you? You can say, wow, so here are my five values that I've articulated. Is being judgmental in this instance of service to that? Is it? And by the way, I don't know. There are times being in conflict and having to argue one's point is appropriate, right? Right. So that's what I'm talking about, but I'm not saying there's not times and places to really lean in. And so when you're clear on where you need to go, not that you just, you need to let go of an inefficient pattern, but you're very clear on what you need to fill it in with, you have that sort of motivation and accelerator to say, ah, if I was curious this would really help me serve me feeling more authentic and connected. If let's say that was something that somebody said, I want authentic connection. Well, then it would be very clear quickly that being judgmental all the time is not a service to that. Right. So putting those two together is a really powerful combination. Yeah, it really is. When we get into this comparison trap, we tend to, especially with social media, compare people's highlight reel, their best to our lowest and oh it's not a God. fair comparison at all. By the way, I catch myself, but I catch myself, right? And I go, okay, right. highlight reel. I love that saying, by the way. Yep, I'm looking at their highlight reel. Maybe with or without filters, no judgment. Whatever it is, you don't know, right? You don't really know what's going on in their lives or <laughs> the hole it's taking to look like that external success. We need more happy-filled people out there. So they're really at that point and everything really is wonderful and great. Awesome. They're putting that energy into the universe. Success isn't pie just because somebody has right. you get less, right? Comparison trap is really, really understandable. It's normal. It's just going back to that concept. It's just not serving. And it really, uh -uh. really deeply affects people's fulfillment and joy and happiness. And I like how you mentioned figuring out what will fulfill you because when we do get in this comparison, we think, oh, they have X, Y, and Z. They have all the things and I wish I had that. But maybe if you were in their life, you wouldn't be fulfilled because it is very individual. It's just not comparable because 
you're in different places in your life. You're on a different path, a different journey. It would be easy, let's say, so I just took the jump from corporate into entrepreneurship, mostly because I became very clear on my values. And I realized I didn't think I could truly live into them most powerfully for me and what I wanted to create in a more traditional corporate environment. That's not to say never. There are instances where I have felt really aligned and it was really about the leader that I was working for at the time, but I felt like that was my path. It is very tempting at times. I'm a human being to look at somebody else's external success. I feel like, oh, they've got it easy. I remember being the big job. It's you just get your paycheck. But then I remind myself, wait a second, I would not be able to be, and I'd list off what I've articulated as my values. And I know I'd be stressed out of my mind. And I'd be stressed out of my mind doing something that actually really was in alignment to what I create. I mean, of course, nobody likes being stressed, but you know, stress is a part of life. So if you're going to be stressed anyway, do it in service to the life you want to create. Other people expect you to create. Yeah, I really like that point. The comparison trap is really getting into like this competition where we think that only one person can be successful, only one person can be happy. But instead, it doesn't have to be a competition. Like we can all be fulfilled and happy in our own ways and really championing each other and being happy for other people's success and that it looks different. Yeah, it absolutely looks different. It should. Going back to the pie analogy, people fight over the slice of pie and they forget they're living in a bakery. I mean, there's just abundance out there. And so unfortunately, you see this in so many elements, even with rights, right? Or just privilege. It's like to give somebody else rights and voice isn't taking away from yours. Absolutely. Taking away difficulty and the luck of the draw, right? Leveling the playing field because you don't have to tear something someone down to get on top. It doesn't have to work like that. We all know that that's a mechanism, unfortunately, folks with not good intent use Mm -hmm. that folks don't consolidate their power and their, and their focus in order to really get at the issues that are truly affecting, you know, whether it's companies or society. And it's much easier to let people go after each other and tear each other down because then they're not really focused on the bigger issues to cause more systemic change, like fundamental change that really is benefit of all society. Like a whole bigger thing, but I had like a whole nother podcast. It's, it's really tempting. And there's a lot in society that drives us to want to be that way. And so it's really us stepping out of that sort of entanglement and say, yep, nope, today, not going to buy in. I'm not going to buy in that the other person or the other group or the other whatever is, is just X. I'm neither going to judge them nor am I going to be jealous. I can admire people. That's really admirable. That's cool. And they're an inspiration. That's different than me feeling like my channel, they took the opportunity away. Yeah. So you mentioned when you were introducing yourself that you were constantly hustling and stressed and you kind of said your identity was being stressed all the time. So how do you suggest one balances their energy in their life and work so that their energy isn't being sucked dry and drained, especially through these things like judgment and fear and comparison. First, I mean, one of the things I think I also was not great at, I really was not good at boundaries, right? Mm, Yes. You have a hard time saying no. You have to get clear on what you are saying yes to. So what's that opposite side of the coin? That goes back to values, by the way, too. So if I'm really clear, so for example, 
I'm crystal clear and I know I am running my own company. I'm a high powered exec, blah, 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 blah. But I'm crystal clear on when I say no to assignments or certain meetings that yes, could encroach into my time with my daughter, unless it's really, really critical and cannot be done at another time. Sorry. My daughter's a priority, which is ironic because now she's 15 and half the time she doesn't really want to spend the time with her mom, (laughs) but I'm still there and I'm still holding that sacrilege time. That may be the day. She's really kind of on her computer with her friends. I've got time to write and whatever. So I'm saying yes to something, right? I wasn't saying no. So attached to being the one that always delivered, the one that got it done, the one that could pull the magic rabbit out of the hat when nobody else could figure it out, that it was an ego trip and I was very unclear as to the alternative, what I was saying yes to. Touched a little bit about what we were just talking about. And I'm starting to do some more writing on this. It's sort of this problem problem with being the problem solver. And it's not that we shouldn't have critical thinking. It's not that we shouldn't problem solve. It's when it becomes our identity. We've got it. We've got the cape with the big P on the back and we're going to solve it. It's very well-intentioned and it's coming from so much heart and it can create so much dysfunction Yeah, and just drain us because we feel like we're the ones that have to keep all the plates spinning in the air. Mm-hmm. It also enables others not to step up and take accountability. They don't get the chance to really learn and fail. And I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's that failure loop. Well, I'll do it because if they do it, they're going to mess it up. And then what? And then what? Okay, so they mess up. And then what? Well, it'd be a mess. Okay, and then what? Well, then we have to fix it. I'm like, would you have to fix it or they have to fix it? Well, they'd fix it. Okay, so well, then what? I guess they know that how to do it better next time. Okay, so it's kind of paper training a bit. <laughs> These people in your life that if you happen to be, and by the way, boy, was I one of these people, (laughs) but I took care of everything. I was the breadwinner in my old relationship. I handled 99% of everything else. I was the master doer. I was really proud that I could do it because I felt like I was being of service. But let me tell you, I was handicapping people around me. Mm -hmm. Never, unfortunately, learned that they were capable, that they're, yeah, it's okay if you make a mistake. That's fine. I know people who I have to do the dishwasher because he does it wrong. I'm like, but mm-hmm. you're supposed to and you're exhausted. It'll be wrong. I'm like, okay, A, it's a dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's the consequences of getting it wrong? It doesn't get cleaned uh, great. They try again, they learn, right? And then one more thing off your plate. So yes, for those of you who do think you are these, not just that you problem solve, but you really identify being with this person who's the master problem solver, A, yay, because I know you're trying to be of service, but really start to challenge and question where is it actually no longer being of service to you? Because you are of service, flip it, and where is it really no longer being of service to others? Yeah, that fixer identity has a lot to do with control and it creates resentments in relationships and work environments because you're doing all the things and it's exhausting, but then you resent the other people things for because you think that if you do it, if you just control these things and you do it, you won't be disappointed. And right. won't and be let down. You'll, you'll prevent. It's sort of like the organizational or relationship version of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Really? Right? So if you have anybody who's really seen like Brené Brown's small like TEDx on this or just conversation with Oprah, where fear is right there. If 
people will find out if you can just lock and load everything, if you could be the master controller and make sure nothing falls through the cracks and you'll just do it, that's your value versus just having high standards and okay, something doesn't happen and you move on and you learn and it's fluid. That's as far as really shifting the amount of stress people have in their lives. I find a lot of folks that's part of the nucleus of what's going on in at least many of my clients. And so we work on it, chip away. It's not overnight. I also, I think there's a false notion that transformation has to happen over years of therapy. Sometimes it just takes a moment of an aha, you know, a moment of aha and you go, and you just see it differently. And you're like, wow, now I just have to practice living into that. But yeah, transformation can happen in a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Through this journey that you've been on, what have been some hard truths you've had to learn and really embrace along the way? I mean, I think a hard truth, part of it was really allowing my vulnerability to come through. That vulnerability was a superpower of mine, not something to shy away from. Transformational for me to read Brene Brown's Daring Greatly when I was going through my own seeking period because I'd had such armor on for so long and I felt the need to be so perfect and protected and like vulnerability was like a four-letter word and that there's such power in that authentic connection to showing your warts and the things that don't go perfect and that humanity, the power in that humanity. I used to describe myself, I used to have very high, high walls around me, very guarded, but on the other side of those walls, there were no boundaries. So if somebody pole vaulted their way into my inner circle, they could walk all over me. Now I'm pretty proud and I work hard at it is that I really keep my walls down. Not that I don't get triggered sometimes, but I really make sure I'm very clear my walls are down. I have authentic connection, but I'm very clear on my boundaries. Very clear as far as what's okay, what's not, what's of service, why. If I feel like I'm being triggered or something happens, I examine it. I take it out from my chest almost and look at it critically and say, huh, Mm -hmm. what's going on here? And why am I not leaning into this or why am I having a certain conversation? Because listen, I have 45 years of having no boundaries. Now I'm clear. Another thing I think that really opened up for me is because I was such a critical thinker. I, I really strategized about so much. I mean, I think it's a good thing. But once again, it doesn't always serve you going into situations or life, which, and this goes back to, by the way, that comparison trap in a way, which so predefined expectations that success or fulfillment or whatever only looks a certain way. And about a year ago, after I started my company and I was somewhat new to the business development side and sales side, and I really had to network a lot, which felt foreign to me. And I was trying to find an authentic way to do it. At the same time, I was starting to date again through a long-term ended relationship. And I came up with this mantra, exploration, not expectation. And I said, I just want to hold space for when I meet people or I'm in certain situations, what could be possible? Obviously, I have a hypothesis of why. Obviously, if I'm going on a date, the hypothesis, ooh, is this someone fun I want to hang out with? Someone I think is cute or whatever, interesting. And but like in the business situation, you know, I have a hypothesis that maybe they could be a strategic partner or potentially a client. But for the most part, it's not an expectation. It's really just being present and listening to what's going on and exploring who they are and what they need. Yeah. It's a very, very different energy. And so I found that really transformed my comfort. I'm actually an amazing relationship now. And I think part <laughs> of it because of that. I think it really, really allowed me to find really organic, authentic way for me to business develop. 
become yeah. very unattached. And I've got people who I talked to nine, 10 months ago who I'll get a referral out of nowhere. Hey, I met so-and-so and just really remembered our conversation. I think this is somebody you should talk to. Okay, great. I guess it's hard to forget a feisty redhead. That absolutely does help my brand. But yeah, it really just allows for a much more authentic, natural connection. And then what will be, will be. I'm so happy to hear that. So to kind of wrap up, what do you want listeners to take away from this episode? And maybe what would you say to someone struggling with these things? I'd say sort of two halves of the same whole. It's a journey. It's Mm -hmm. totally okay if this is where you are right now. We all have good days, bad days, days we think we have enough energy to tackle it and days that, to be frank, just getting through to dinner and if you have kids, getting your kids in bed, whatever, it's okay. Wherever you are right now, practice on the things that are just, you find the low-hanging fruit, really energize you. Many who talk about this transformational journey, it feels so large. It feels almost insurmountable, right? Mm-hmm. And so remember there was a saying my, my mom used to say when I was growing up, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Now I joke, I do the opposite. My advice is the opposite of my mom's, which is sometimes you need to make molehills out of the mountain. Little bitty steps. What can you tackle today? What could be a different way of thinking about who you are and what you want to create? What's a little yeah. thing you could do to shift when you catch yourself judging? What's a little thing that you can do? Like bite size. And when you're ready for more, great. Obviously, I'm a huge proponent of finding advocates and expertise to help you on that journey. I know I've had some amazing ones. I love being that for folks, whether it's individual or in group. Get your tribe that will support you too on this journey. This doesn't have to be the elephant in the room, by the way. Like have a conversation with folks once you start to have an epiphany about, gee, you know, I really caught myself comparing, right? And then, by the way, you'll realize everybody does it. It's day to day and it's just part of the fabric of all of our humanity. I really like that you mentioned that because sometimes we can get so overwhelmed by all the things that we need to work on, really making it into bite-sized steps of what can I do right now to start creating change and shifting these mindsets and actions that I'm doing. And the key thing to everybody out there, you're not fixing yourself. You're Mm -hmm. just as you are, just the way you are right now. These are not exercises to fix you. These are exercises to unlock the best of you, to get you Mm -hmm. in alignment to a life that most joyfully serves you. As soon as you get into the mindset of, oh, I'm going to do this so I can fix or fix or fix. Nope, nope, nope. You're great. You're awesome. Even if you don't feel like you are, these are really there just to be of service to get you back into the life and be clear about the life that you want to create. I agree. That is wonderful. So if people want to reach out, connect with you, work with you, where can they find you? So many ways. I'm a modern woman like many. Me and my company have so many different ways to get a hold of us. What I would really recommend is our website. There's a lot of free resources. There's videos. I've done a lot of writing. So it's www.vibrant.com. It's spelled a little different. So it's spelled V-Y-B-R-A-N-T-E vibrant. And the reason why we spelt it that way is because our premise is, is to unlock individual team and organizational vibrancy. You have to understand your why. So what we talked about, your true north. And in the end, it's really that E factor. It's all about your energy. Mm-hmm. And so putting those two concepts powerfully together really helped unlock people's most vibrant selves. So the website, and then you can always catch me on LinkedIn. My name, Karen Fournier. I know it'll be in the show notes on how to spell it. That's a yes. little funky as well, but I blame my mother for that one. And then even on your typical Facebook, Instagram, Vibrant Ventures, 
There's an underscore um, in the Insta, Facebook, same thing. I'm always open for people emailing me as well if they want to just chat. So it's Karen at vibrant.com. Awesome. I will have those in the show notes below in case anybody wants to reach out. So I usually close my episodes with a little song recommendation. So do you have a song that deeply resonates with you and your story? So it was really funny that you asked this because my boyfriend dragged me and I talk about a primal fear I had to get over before COVID to karaoke. On top of being an ad exec, he's a drummer in his own band, whatever. And he loves this stuff. I'm like, oh my God, it's terrifying. So I'm like, okay, this is the year for me to do terrifying. And I was looking through the book of all these various songs and I totally forgotten about this song. And it's called You Gotta Be by Desiree. And it's really about challenging your preconceived notions, hold the possibility for the biggest life that you can be and you can have. You have the ability to lean in to create this really cool life. And I'd forgotten about it. It had been years. And I actually sang it pretty well. Nobody booed me out of the karaoke bar. <laughs> That's awesome. I love Everybody that. Everybody was singing along with me. It was, it was really fun. So. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here and sharing with us today. I really appreciate you and your message. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So that's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. I hope this podcast left you feeling empowered, better understood, and less alone in this crazy thing called life. If you like what you hear, leave a rating or review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.